0: Hi, this is Cam Smith, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. Why don't
1: we eat? Hey, dear cause of course, I'll have your spam. I love it. i in spam, spam, spam.
2: Cornflakes!
1: One hey, fancy a point. Soup, too, sir. Spam, 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 baked beans. Spam, spam, spam and spam. I
2: said
0: I don't want any damn vegetables. <laughs> Lentils are really good, you know.
3: Mmm, forbidden donut. Ow.
0: That stuff now. Hey doing everybody. Welcome to the afternoon here. The button was pushed. I could hear it from the panel. That was so beautiful, Kent. No, don't look at me like that. Don't look away. Look at me, Kent. I bet come on. Say hello.
4: Sorry about <laughs> that, hello. Cam. It was a bit it was a bit tough one, wasn't it?
0: It was good. It was was like, you know, boom, I'm in the moment of doing this. After the slow
4: fade and then the thump. (laughs) That panel
0: was beaten. That's called cutting to the chase. We're cutting to the chase here now because we are here, ladies and gentlemen, unbowed, unbeaten. And with a smile on our faces, haven't we? Ken, oh, we do smiling through the tears. Here we are, Um, we are broadcasting to you as we have done through all of lockdown, I might say, uh, here in glorious downtown East Brunswick, and uh, and the corner's looking good. Slightly quiet, if I'm honest. (laughs) The (laughs) Lyman Hotel isn't doing that much. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
4: But uh, no. The tumbleweeds and the wildlife give it away, can that,
0: That's it, yes, and the roving herds of deer that are, <laughs> that are watching through East Brunswick. Uh, testament to the times that we live, ladies and gentlemen. But as I said, throughout all of this, uh, we have resolutely... And you've been part of it too, Kent, I said, as I point myself and knock the microphone, which is i probably have to buy a slab for everybody for doing that. You've been part of that too, and I want to thank you for... Being a, a resolute person and a stand-up guy, and um, and it's very kind talking to our listeners. So, hi, how you going? We're here to talk about food, Shane. You are amazing. Can you hear me, Shane? No, no he's, he can't. he's
4: looking. He's talking to his Zoom people. He's done another episode of Twenty PhDs in Twenty Minutes yes, uh, today. Just so,
0: okay, yep. I'm going to say goodbye to you. Yep. Bye. No, you were really great. Goodbye <laughs> to you. Uh, we've got Tim Thorpe, who's uh, in the green room looking at his phone. He's hiding it now as if he's been just <laughs> so – we've just busted him. But we're all here, and we're all here for you, and I suppose that's probably the, the main thing. Welcome to The Food Show. My name's Cam Smith across from me. I have the redoubtable uh, Kent Goldsworthy, a.k.a. panel beater. <laughs> he's the panel beater. He works with people, <laughs> and it's good. Yeah, yeah, I... yeah, and and I don't know. And through this time, I guess what we we really want to do is just bring a smile to your faces. Uh, we've got a we've got a music track to dance around the kitchen,
4: yeah, or
0: tap your fingers in oh, the car yeah. just to go look bugger it. Toe tapping, good time. Toe tapping, good time. But uh, before we go on to the show and what's on, we have to direct some remarks. Hmm. We have to direct some remarks, and I'm, I'm going to paraphrase from the another person who I love and admire, Joseph Farghetto, um, who has an amazing restaurant up in Kew, and he, uh, in, a, in a fit of exasperation, said, with with the pivots and the pirouettes and the cartwheels that we've been doing in this industry, and I'm talking about the hospitality industry, an industry that I so wholeheartedly um, speak for, speak to, Um, and you could feel it in in his post and he said he didn't say this and I say it now and I'm editorialising because we've been given this platform here at 3RRR that now these ignorant, these unevolved children do this to us. I'm going to swear, so cover the children's ears My favourite saying, my favourite aphorism throughout this and it regards to whether it's COVID or climate change is science doesn't give a fuck what you think or what you believe. And I think I'll just
4: maybe leave that. Kent, thoughts? You're clearly alluding to the events of yesterday. Yeah, Would I be right there. Yeah, no, I'm damn. Among other I got, my, I, got my,
0: I got my thumb on it.
4: Yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's it's right there. Oh, many thoughts, Cam. Not least of which, maybe yeah. just taking, as you say, a bit of a platform, so take, um, put it to good use. Yep. Yeah. Um, just if any of you out there are healthcare workers or have uh, family and friends as healthcare workers, or indeed the police. Um, indeed, I. Really hope you know that the vast majority of people um, recognise the the work and effort you do, putting yourself at risk in all of this time and for some of the behaviour yesterday towards the police and, you know, ipso facto to um, ignoring the risks that healthcare workers put themselves at on the front line each day. And indeed, hospo, trying to get through all that. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just trying to acknowledge that. I hope those people and their families do feel supported, despite the visuals of yesterday.
0: Hear, hear. yeah, hear, hear. We were, we were speaking before the show, and we said we've we've got to send a shout out to to all those people that have had to deal with all this. All of our emergency services, and, and spare a thought for health workers, not only in this state, but imagine being a hospital worker in in Greater Sydney. Uh, would just be. I don't know how you get up and put the feet on the floor, you know? I really don't. And to those people that keep doing that and putting their feet on the floor and putting on whatever uniform it is. And their families, right? And their families. Yeah. Yeah, they're doing. 1208 here on 3 triple Uh We've got some guests for you today. And, um, well, it's a bit of a bloke fest. Okay well um we have uh today part of Melbourne conversations and knowledge Melbourne uh, there was a wonderful conversation that happened last Wednesday and you can see it on YouTube and uh, the title of it was aboriginal food systems and on that panel were there was the the rather redoubtable redoubtable uh, Bruce Pascoe um writer uh, author, sorry, of uh, Dark Emu, uh, a grower called Tracy Hardy, uh, Dr. Jen Ray, who a Canadian who, who uh, chaired the whole thing, and the person we're going to be speaking to today, uh, his name is Josh Gilbert, and uh, Josh is a Waramai man, he's a farmer and an academic, he, uh, he grows Clydesdale horses and border collies. Good bloke. <laughs> I reckon he has a wolsey car. Anyway, but I digress. He's the Indigenous co-chair of Reconciliation New South Wales, and uh, we're going to have a chat to him. In uh, He's going to be our first guest. And then, because we need a little bit of comfort, <laughs> a little bit of certainty in our lives, and who else do you go to but an Italian? <laughs> and we're going to have a chat to John at the market, which will which will be good, and then just as something to elucidate maybe another lifestyle and maybe a lifestyle that wouldn't be great if we, we followed. We're going to talk to a man who's no stranger to the microphones of 3RRFM. His name is Lance Within. Lance Withan is a muscle grower. Um, Not okay. a bodybuilder. No. No, no, he's not. Doesn't drink uh, protein milkshakes. Oh, he might, he might. I don't know. Um, but no, he he uh, founder own and owns and runs a thing called Sea Bounty, and um, he collects mussels and grows mussels. And uh, I would say to you that mussels is probably one of the cheapest proteins we get from the sea at the moment, and also super healthy. And we might find out what's the day like in his office.
4: Hmm. And we'll weep. <laughs> Office being on top of the water.
0: Yeah. Out from Port Arlington. Hmm. One word, you say.
4: Yeah. I, when you looked at, back at me when I said that, I started to doubt myself. But I'm pretty sure no, Port, you're Arley- right. no, you're right. Port Arlington spells it it's as not one word. Port
0: Arlington.
4: Arlington. You go, no.
0: no, Port Arlington.
4: I think so. I think
0: you're right. <laughs> I think you're right. <clears throat> what say you people out there? And how are you doing? Um... This is a shout out to to all you guys I mean we've shouted out we're always shouting out to hospitality who have had to endure these days and but here's a big shout out to you guys wherever you are um in your homes you might have taken the car out to go for a little five kilometer drive uh, as you can but um yeah look we're we're all in a bit of a fragile state and um And but we've got each other and we've got to hold each other close. And uh, there's a saying that came from a movie called Being There actually with Peter Sellers. Do you remember that Peter Sellers and as Chauncey Gardner and in an engine? I can't say that right, that word properly. And he was uh, his saying was that after winter, there will be spring. And everybody thought he was a political genius because <laughs> he was out of context. It's a pretty funny movie. Actually. It's a great Shirley. movie. Shirley MacLaine Shirley, well. MacLaine. Shirley MacLaine. Shirley MacLaine. Shirley MacLaine. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <clears throat> let's see now. Um, I was going to do a what's that in your mouth, but it's already 12.12. 12. Uh, let's just saying I'm eating. I'm probably eating a bit too much. <laughs> my calorific in, intake is probably exceeding my ability to uh, – Shed it, but uh, we've got to do something, don't we? We do. It's uh, whatever gets you through the night, huh? You are on. Three triple R, as I said before. We're here. Aren't we, Kent?
4: Certainly are. <laughs> oh, God. That wasn't me, folks. <laughs> <That> was... <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get a call from Beck Hornsby for that. Stop
0: banging the desk, you idiot. And fair enough, too. Uh, we're going to be having a chat to Joshua Gilbert after these very important sponsor announcements. Oh, listen to that. That sounds like it's like we're listening to an old LP record. This is good. It's it's the analogue. We are going across the ranges and we're in New South Wales. It's a delight to welcome to the microphones and your speakers, ladies and gentlemen, Joshua Gilbert. A very, very good afternoon to you. Hi, mate. How are you? Ah. Look, living the dream, everything's right. groovy, it's all good. Where are you? Mate, I am up in
3: a, a pretty small little town called Gloucester on the mid north coast of New South Wales. So, up here on of my country. Oh. Um, yeah, a few hours north of uh,
0: Sydney. Yeah, right. Okay. So, how close are you to the water?
3: Uh, we're about an hour inland from the water, so oh, yeah. I, I okay. kind of think this is the the perfect spot. Actually, it's an hour to the beach, an hour to the snow. It's kind of the the perfect
0: middle ground. You're in the epicenter. Yeah, of yeah. something. I don't know. I just sorry. I'm. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I need to get better at broadcasting. It'll happen one day. Um, look, mate. The reason the reason why I got you on the on the show was. I was lucky enough uh, to uh, register and be part of uh, Melbourne Conversations and that's part of Knowledge Melbourne and there was an awesome talk that uh, you were a part of called the Aboriginal Food Systems and um, yeah, first of all, congratulations for it. It was just a a very illuminating and timely conversation. Yeah, thanks
3: mate. I think uh, certainly the timing is is right. I mean, there was a, quite a fair few people on the line um, wanting to have a, ch- a chat and a yarn and, and just listen to, to where some of the other speakers as well were, what they were thinking about. But yeah, a really good conversation and um, just yeah, certainly my my thanks to the people for putting on because it was a great opportunity to have a good chat.
0: Yes, and um, so now tell me, um, your how do you where do you reside in this this whole thing of? Um, uh, well, you're you're a Warra man, and you're also a man on the land. So, uh, tell us about your experience and your history of farming.
4: Yeah,
3: mate. So, um, I, I guess my you know, my family has been farming forever, really, and um, certainly we know through my dad's uh, family that there's a the first. Um, kind of clash between my dad's Aboriginal family and his non-Aboriginal family in about 1825.
0: 1825,
3: wow. Yeah, yeah. And and from there, I guess, documented history of, um, you know, both black and white families coming together and farming in a way that we know now. You know, obviously farming's evolved quite a bit, but it's still, you know, a very similar narrative. So we know my... Dad's family we farming this country here, you know, prior to that. But obviously, farming sheep in this area from 1825 um, yes. with the AA code. Um They had a bit of a, a clash then, um, and, and kind of as time went on, this area became less known for sheep and more known for beef cattle and dairy. And my, my, both my parents' um, families were involved in that in this area. Yes. Uh, now mostly beef cattle farmers and my, my grandmother's got a sheep property down towards Canberra which I try and get down to when I can Yes. and um, yeah this is kind of it's more around food and food production and, and at the moment I'm doing research with Chelsea University looking at indigenous agriculture so it's trying to work out what the size and scale of indigenous agriculture is in Australia and how we fit in this kind of broader conversation and what our involvement will be within the agricultural sector
0: you know one of the the useful sort of things for just to, uh, imaginings or um <clears throat> just to get in our in our heads is the 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 venerable venn diagram um and if you you think about the circles of of um of aboriginal agriculture and then european agriculture for generations and generations there was nothing touching there at all but can you talk about maybe how those circles are emerging together and, and what have been the signposts and and how do we move closer to that and maybe relate that back to the conversations you had on Wednesday?
3: Yeah, definitely. So for me, I mean, those conversations have been together since colonisation, really. We know that um, prior to land being colonised that um, when, when settlers, you know, landed in Sydney and started expanding their roots, Um, not only did foreign livestock, cattle and sheep, predominantly start pushing up into some of this marginal country, but so too did mob from other areas who were trying to retreat um, and and to try and find a new life. So colonisation actually really clashed first and foremost with other mob and and equally with, um, you know, foreign livestock. So once that started happening, I I guess for me that, that narrative around the combination between Western agriculture and Indigenous identity kind of, together, and often what we don't think of in in the Australian context is, well, we have this romanticism, I guess, around um, European farming, Um, you know, the man from Snowy River, that kind of rhetoric and connection back to to those olden days, but Mm. we often forget that there was a lot of Indigenous people who um, were, were very impacted by that, first and foremost, but as time went on, Indigenous people actually started playing a very important role in these this Western agricultural sector. So as Indigenous people started, you know, moving into that space, our identity transformed through Western ag, and we do know that Mm. um, Indigenous knowledges and and principles were, you know, really pivotal to making sure that some of the early settlers were able to farm uh, in the way that they are now.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because um, I think one of the great uh, ironies... um, in the world uh, in Australian history anyway, European history is uh, you, you think back of Burke and wills, who mm. uh, you know these two pretty stupid, arrogant people really <laughs> when, you, when you look back at them, if you follow their history, and there they are, they died of thirst and never even in their wildest dreams, thought to consult with the indigenous as to whether or not there would be foods around them.
3: Yeah, and it's interesting. A lot of that um, culture, actually, you know, has impacted the way in which our bush food sector has emerged now in Australia. So yeah. um, we know that you know Indigenous bush foods, although they're a, you know an incredibly important, kind of staple to, to mob here, but also for um, you know hold a lot of um, high profile kind of flavours and tastes. Kakadu Pond, for instance, has the highest natural vitamin C of any other product in the world. Anything. So, yeah. Yeah. But we we know that um those foods were only relied upon by white farmers during times of drought and struggle. So the the sector I think really struggled to get off the, the ground in the early, you know, seventies, eighties, nineties because it was they were kind of battling with farmers who were eating these foods for survival rather than for, you know, how nutritious they were and how important they were.
0: Yeah. And, and a lot of those, like, my experience was that uh, the, the earliest bush foods, not the earliest bush foods, the bush foods that I became aware of that were being pushed and commercialised um, were commercialised by white fellas. And it was one of the sort of enduring images of food production uh, going forward from that is the white bloke or woman in the white um, uh, land crews are pretty much taking all the money and driving off of it.
3: Yeah, you can, and that's kind of reflective of where the sector is somewhat at the moment because we know that only 1% or 2% of the profit coming from bush foods is actually going back into Indigenous hands.
0: Well, can you just repeat that? Just, I'm not sure if I heard that properly. Can you say that again? Yeah,
3: just 1% or 2% of the profits being earned in the native food sector is actually going back to Indigenous people.
0: 1% or 2 um,
3: yeah, that's
0: outrageous. And, and
3: we, yeah, it's, it's quite terrible, actually. Yeah. and we know that indigenous, uh, so non-indigenous people are able to commercialise bush foods a lot quicker because of the scale and access to capital yeah. that they're, they're able to afford. So that figure, you know, while we hope it's going to get obviously a lot better, we know that uh, unfortunately it's probably more likely to get worse in the future.
0: Really. Well, we need we need you to make more noise. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I'm I quite low. Of... And what are you doing to? And what's your uh, uh, personal? Uh, that's not resort to cliche. What are you doing to uh, to make that a reality?
3: So, uh, I mean, there, there are organisations out there, so there, there is a First Nations bush foods and botanical organisations who's out there advocating for the rights of Indigenous producers at the moment. Mm. So we know that, that that's pivotal to making sure that those conversations happen. We know that there's protections that are trying to be put in place for Indigenous producers to hold the, the cultural IP or the cultural knowledge yeah. around the food system.
0: Yeah, that's another big but, thing too, isn't it?
3: Yeah, absolutely. For me, it's the convergence of all of that with understanding that Indigenous people are also farming Western um, commodities as well. So we, we know there's Aboriginal people out there who are shearing sheep and, um, you know, going out there and, and, and breeding cattle yeah. and cropping. Yeah. So yeah. with the combination of all that, what we do need to do uh, as a sector is have a broader understanding of what Indigenous agriculture is. Mm. And through that, we can create a conversation as to how Indigenous people can lead our own self-determined lens around what our agricultural involvement is going to be in the future.
0: What was the most inspiring or the most interesting things you heard from either what you said or your panellists had in the conversation that you had last Wednesday, which we will um, give people directions to find for themselves?
3: For me, it's just around having the conversations. I I think that
0: that it
3: existed yeah 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 absolutely i mean uh, certainly it's something that's kind of discussed around the indigenous bush food and and agriculture sector very harsh and we we know that more conversations need to happen there but really just the ability to have these conversations to a broader audience and have that understanding that our mob are being left behind in in the agriculture sector and particularly in bush foods as we just noted Mm. um it's more around awareness building at this stage, and, and trying to actually work out what the state of play of Indigenous agriculture is first, before we can actually really start, you know, having make, or making sure that we have representation within our agricultural peak bodies, and even reports to the department from an Indigenous perspective.
0: Hmm. Yeah, we'll look more power to your arm in that. Can you uh, can you tell us, please, Joshua, uh, how people can find that chat if they want? Yeah, to? Mate,
3: it, it's was part of the Melbourne Conversations section. If you search Melbourne Conversations Aboriginal Foods, mm. uh, that's a great way to start um, having that conversation. I do know there's a whole heap of links that we talk about throughout that, yeah. that yarn that you'll be able to access either through that or, you know, just even if you, you were interested in it more, just hit me up on my website or, or Tracy's website as well. Um, yeah, we, we always love to have a yarn about this and we're happy to keep having this conversation much more broadly.
0: Well, I hope we do, and I hope this is uh, the start of many conversations that we have. So, Tracy, you were referring to as Tracy Hardy, um, yes. part of the panelist, along with uh, Bruce Pascoe, and uh, yeah, and Dr. Jen Ray. She was awesome too, wasn't she?
3: Yeah, Canadian. yeah, she's incredible.
0: Yeah. Yes. Canadian woman. Uh, yeah. Lovely to have a chat with you. Um, we'll let you get off and enjoy the day. But uh, congratulations on the chat. Thank you for joining us here on Triple R. And we look forward to walking together into a more enlightened age where we use the traditions and the knowledge of how many hundreds and hundreds of generations of observation and, uh, and plant craft that you guys possess, your mob.
3: Yeah, thanks, Ken. Thanks for the opportunity to, to have a chat, and I, I really hope there's a lot of value in there for your listeners. As I said, we always love to have a yarn about this, so feel free to reach out um, for any of your listeners and we can keep the conversation going.
0: Look forward to chatting with you in the future, maybe talking about yeah, your thanks, favourite mate. Clydesdale horse that you grew up <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Yeah. Thank you. See you later. Bye. Joshua Gilbert, ladies and gentlemen, I commend these chats to you. Uh, yeah, Melbourne Conversations there, Kent. Um, there's some awesome chats and convos there.
4: That sounded pretty bloody good. I'll be tapping into that for really? sure. Yeah. Oh, good.
0: We've sold it to
4: you. Mm. It's worked. Oh, yeah. All right. Oh, yeah.
1: You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R, exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen hit up the triple r website or your favorite podcast platform
0: john from the market how the hell are you
1: very good thank you good afternoon everyone i miss I you to <laughs> just let you know i miss you john I miss you too, mate. You're missing the beautiful sunshine. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of a cool breeze, but it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Miss- and there's a lot of lovely young people out coming for a shopping experience.
0: Yeah, and I'm I'm also missing out on artichokes, which is something oh, that just yeah. gives me the absolute bloody year well,
1: I'm really going to have to stick it to you. Come on. I bought on. these beautiful purple artichokes. They're mm-hmm. very, very purple. Spinoza? They're, um, Spinoza? A cross, they're a cross between a Spinoza and another variety mm. because they they look like a Spinoza which means the prickly one as yeah. you say, yeah. but it, this one doesn't have prickles on it. It's beautiful it's soft, it's nutty mm. it's juicy mm. and um, Joseph picked out five or six beautiful ones and took them home to Franca. Yes. And Franca made the beautiful stuffing and steamed them up and um, they were gorgeous.
0: What's in the stuffing?
1: Very simple. It's I'm just yeah. crumbs, egg, parsley, garlic. Oh, egg. Um, yeah, she put a little bit of egg to bind it, which we don't normally do. Yeah, right, that's
0: did. new. See, I'm paying attention. Yeah, okay,
1: yes. Um... Yeah, it was very simple, and, and the flavours of the artichoke really shone um, I, di-
0: I didn't get to... Sorry, I, I, I cut off because I was uh, uh, interested that you put egg in there. So breadcrumbs, egg, what else was in there? Parsley? Parsley, garlic, salt garlic. pepper. Sultanas? Yeah. Or no, currants? very simple. Very simple, simple
1: okay. as fun. Yeah. Normally, um, we put anchovies. Well, she does it because I like it. Yeah. Anchovies, anchovy oil, Anch- uh, crushed walnuts and... Um, Oh, nice. Um sultanas, yeah.
0: Oh, and that's once you get that um that filling, that can be an all purpose one. I I was doing that with yeah. those bullhorn peppers you've got there too.
1: Yeah, it does work better with the um um bullhorn. peppers because you know if you put all those um ingredients into the artichoke it can be quite strong and I rather like it like that, so mm. that's what we do. But yeah. you can keep it simple like last night. Um Unfortunately, there's no broad beans because broad beans Why? and um, are a, a potato are really marry together when you
0: cook them. Yeah. Oh, yes. Of course. Yeah. Well that you know that great dish. Well, how long? How far away are broad beans? They, they must nothing from Queensland yet.
1: Uh, no. See, we've had a lot of bad weather up and down the. Um, um, Eastern Seaboard House. Yeah, and and broad beans
0: are a very fragile plant, and they hate wind. They get knocked over so quick, don't they, or easily?
1: We had some about a month ago, and then I'd say the second crop, the flowers fell off, and they haven't come again. And I feel that the ones out of Queensland may not make the grade. So. They'll be coming in. Keep, praying. Keep I, praying.
0: I'll pray. Yeah, I don't even believe in God, but I'll pray for broad beans. There's there's a food god, I'm sure of. It. Yeah. Okay. The the food gods uh, out there. Um. So what else is uh, what else is good around?
1: Well, I just said to someone before, we're rather lucky because everything's peaking even though we are in the middle of winter. Mm. You know, and we've got beautiful celery. Um, people have been making soups and casseroles and even eating it raw. Um, zucchini and eggplant and stems coming out of Queensland, they're all in good condition because they come de- they're come, picked and shipped straight away. Mm. Um, even a broccoli out of Werribee is looking pristine because it likes the cold. I don't sell Brussels sprouts anymore, but there's beautiful Brussels sprouts around. Uh, mm. We've got new season savoy cabbage for those that love a cabbage. Yeah. Um, Uh, And the rest, you know, we've even got some beautiful fancy lettuces. We've got butter lettuce, green oak lettuce, um, um, and green oaks, and mignonettes, and they're beautiful. I have a salad, a good palate cleanser after dinner. It's like having um, even fennel, sliced up fennel, when you've had a big plate of pasta and some beautiful meat done in the ragoon. You you might have um, a little bit of a fatty taste in the mouth. You have a little bit of fennel, and it settles everything down.
0: You know, in the times before lockdown and I was seeing you, um, I grabbed one of those mignonettes off you. And to me, a mignonette could be one of the most beautiful lettuces ever made. There's Just the way the shape of it is beautiful and lovely and, and round. Colour. And the colour, the greens going into the garnet and the red. I had it in a vase, actually, for um, a couple of days before I actually ate it because I thought it was such a beautiful thing. It was... It was out there. And um, the wonderful thing is with those mignonette that you had, they were – obviously they were grown sort of hydroponically, but hydroponically in soil, yes. if you know what I mean. Yes, yes. They yes. still had dirt on them. I remember looking through the roots going, ah, this is good. And so by having those roots, you can actually keep the the salad alive. You don't have to sort of stun well, it in the fridge. And um,
1: I normally say to people, put it in a um – um, fruit bowl full of water so it sits in there only oh, yeah. the rest are in the water yeah. and you can pick the outer leaves and then when it's starting to look a little bit sad then you you can cut the uh, lettuce off it and actually go and plant it in a garden and if it takes, it takes, if it doesn't take bad luck. Oh,
0: okay. There we go. That's a that's a, that's a pretty, really good idea. Um, hey, we've got a couple of minutes, John. Um, your name of your place is obviously Tomato City. You are the man for Tomatoes. What's the, the sitch with tomatoes?
1: Well, it's been pretty exciting because um, we sell a lot of heirloom tomatoes and a lot of cherry truss tomatoes. Mm. Um, and there's a, a new Italian family growing some cherry tomatoes. A new Italian them, family? Is that such yeah. a thing? Does that exist? Well, they might be second or third generation Italians, <laughs> okay. but I'm sure. But you just getting uh, to you know, know them. And, and they sent us some beautiful yellow cherry truss. They're yeah. round. Yes. Last week they were um, yellow, goldeny mini Roma truss. Uh-huh. And then we've got big fat cherry truss and we've got smaller cherry truss tomatoes. Wow. And they're all quite crunchy and quite different to each other.
0: God, John, so, this could be the start of a beautiful friendship. Oh, definitely, definitely. And. Um,
1: We've been looking at their Instagram, and, and they're growing <laughs> Black Russians as well. Oh, wow, that's
0: so nice! So getting to know. Yeah. you're going to have them over for dinner. Uh, I think they're a little
1: bit too far away oh, for okay. dinner because they're over in South Australia. Yeah,
0: fair enough. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, so I'm, I'm just. We'll being... see what else they
1: send us because we've got Rouge de Marmont, and we've got Black Russian, and we've got pink tomatoes, and golden, yellow, big Roma tomatoes, yeah. so you know, it is rather exciting and we've got our Murray Bridge, don't forget right. uh, you know, you, you can get fancy or you can eat our normal tomatoes.
0: And speaking of fancy or not fancy, ooh, hello, um, are you going to have the, uh, just the the simple meal tonight?
1: Simple meal tonight, pasta and a little bit of meat and a Yep. and tomorrow morning, like last Monday morning, I got out the fry pan and Purchased myself a couple of eggs, but I think I might be frying some of those yellow mini-aroma tomatoes that I had left over from last week. Oh. I sort of hid them on purpose. Oh. And, um, we'll have a fry-up and a big break
0: Ah, that sounds good. Well, look, um, all, all the very, very best. John, hopefully I'll see you within, uh, the not-too-distant future. <laughs> I don't know
1: when, but, Well, uh, I, hope so. uh, and, I hope so. And,
0: uh, also, we, uh, Radiothon is coming, and I don't know if you want to uh, say a couple words regarding Radiothon. The,
1: uh yeah, I will I'll say good luck with the Radiothon. Guys, you've got to ring up and uh, do your bit because, um, you know, we like putting the shows on, but it, it's uh, not for free. I don't get paid. I'm happy about that.
4: Mm. But mm.
1: I'm sure there's electricity bills and other things that need to be paid. So get in and pledge um, your donation so everyone can keep doing their bit because... I know for a fact that uh, people from all walks of life listen in and enjoy. So, you know, we like to keep doing it for you.
0: John, love you, buddy. You're the best. Yeah. Uh, yeah. May Franca cook you beautiful meals during the week and may your uh, relationship with her be beautiful and pacific and lovely. It will be. It will be. Well, we'll, we'll see it you soon. Be. Thanks, John. Bye. Say hi to Joe. Bye, uh, Joey. We'll see you soon. Stay well, everyone. Bye bye. We'll do twelve forty-one here on three Triple R FM. Uh, Ken's got the button ready. We're going to play a couple sponsorship announcements as well as in a, um inducements to help us out during Radiothon, which is coming up. Which yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a big couple of weeks, and we will be going to Port Arlington to have a chat to Lance Wyman after this.
1: Independently yours, Triple R
0: one oh two point seven it's good and radiothon is coming and we'll be uh, we'll be coming at you next uh, couple of weeks doing radiothon but in the meantime we're having a chat to the fabulous the wonderful Lance Whiffin here in uh, Port Arlington uh Lance where are you you uh you at home are you on the water what are you doing
2: <laughs> no'm at home at the mor- at the moment cam uh, it's Quite windy at the moment, and we'll, we're waiting for the wind to drop and and our boys will be going out to harvest tonight for um, for tomorrow, so um, a bit tough these this time of the year the wind winds can sort of knock us around a fair bit
0: yeah and, and what's but the, the um, uh, what, just just out of curiosity what what is the uh, the upper level like you know when it gets up to i don't know forty kilometers an hour or but when, when do you go nat?
2: Well, we've we've got three farm sites, um, as you know, and some are more exposed than others. Yeah. Um, so what we do is try to pick the best site for the wind. So, you know, sometimes um, 25 knots, um, you know, which is roughly 50 k an hour. Uh, oh. Rough. That might be too rough in one area. We might be able to handle 40 knots. Um, well, you know, forty knots is really pushing the upper end of what we we sort of can handle, really, um, and that ha- that has to be in the direction that we can sort of cope with it. If it's in the, or we couldn't. So it's it's really quite uh, quite variable uh, what we can handle and what we can't. It's, there's a lot of factors that come into play.
0: Yeah, and so maybe some people haven't heard the uh, interviews we've done previously, but um, how on earth do you? Farmer mussel. I mean, you can't put them in paddocks. Uh, What's the story there? Can you give us just a quick idea about how we do this?
2: Yeah, they they are in in paddocks actually. We um, we lease the water off the government and they're designated areas in Port Phillip Bay for aquaculture. And we've got certain areas that we put gear in. So we have an anchor, we have two anchors on a line, imagine that on the seabed. Yep. And then That line goes to the surface, and from that surface, we hang ropes like you'd hang a curtain. Yes. And they're held up with flotation drums. Um, And we've got hundreds of those lines, and literally, um, you know, tens of thousands of ropes with um, a couple of thousand muscles on each rope. So we're talking about, yep, millions of muscles we have out there. So it's
0: it's quite a it's quite a big operation. Mm. And uh, you know, a... one of the one of the things that I really was so illuminating in the fact that when God I met you all these years ago uh, was was one of the things you said was one of the the great things which gives us hope for the future for you know um, uh, where we are with climate and things like that is that you said. The bay has improved so markedly over the over the decades, has it not? The quality of the water is heaps better than what it was. Yes.
2: Um, in the early days, there were lots of practices that you know that we wouldn't tolerate these days. So, yeah. over a period of time, the um, the sediments or whatever that were um, maybe. Uh, back when paint companies and things like that um, had runoff going into the bays, yeah. um, they no longer exist, and eventually that um, you know goes down the sediment and disappears, and um, things better. Also, we our waterways um, just generally are much cleaner and better. And Port Phillip Bay is such a good growing area because of the fresh water that comes into it, as well as the ocean water. I was in from the Queen'scliff end. So we get this magnificent mix of ocean water and fresh water. The fresh water bring the nutrients to um, allow our algae to grow, which is the beginning of life, single-cell organisms, and that's what animals live on. Um, but they need a really good sea environment for that to happen. If, if there was too much fresh water, the, the bay would go rancid and it just would uh, everything would die in it. Um, and too much seawater um, mm. and Nutrients and the muscles wouldn't fatten; they wouldn't be as beautiful to eat as what we've got now. So,
3: oh, wow,
0: okay, yeah, I didn't didn't realise that. And um, one of the things that you taught me is that um, you can sex a muscle um, by and work out by the colour that it is.
2: Yeah, it's a bit hard to tell looking at it from um, on the outside the shell. but well, yeah, well, unless unless
0: you're Superman with X-ray vision, <laughs> yep.
2: Um, w- when uh, when you open the mussel up, uh, w- one one will be sort of pinky colour and one will be white colour. just before you cook them, mm. and um, when they're in really good condition, they'll still cook up white um, and pink. Yes, uh, and you'll 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 see the difference. The pink ones are girls, of course, and the white ones are boys.
0: Right.
2: Uh, so what we do across at the hatchery when we're trying to uh, spawn our our mussels from from Port Phillip Bay and and make some more babies to hang out ropes um what we um, do is you, you put them in a controlled environment and they start to spawn or have babies or get sexy and um <laughs> and, and then for the moment we see some coming out of the um, into the water we quickly put the girls over into that tray and the boys over into that tray that's how we that's how we work it out and right. then they and then the scientists um mix the amount of eggs they want
0: with the amount of sperm yeah. and... While there's Barry together. White music playing in the background, I hope? Oh, yeah, they've got okay. to do all that. Do-do-do-do. Oh, baby. Yeah, well, yeah. Not,
2: maybe not, but they, they do play, yeah.
0: Yeah, okay. I'm just being So st- it's I'm really... Uh,
2: and that, that's fantastic, you know, because um, that does give us uh, a guaranteed crop for the yeah. future if things do start to change with climate change. Yes. Uh, we, we, can, we can probably uh, select... For, for muscles that handle warmer conditions or more, uh, more salty conditions or whatever, we can start to select for that and still keep the um, you know bay abundant with mussels.
0: Oh, so so you've, you've already started been, to do that work, so that you're able to adapt, overcome.
2: No, we've done preliminary work on mm-hmm. uh, on what the muscles muscles are capable of. Yes, and different species have different periods of time that you can um you know keep um mixing them um getting adaption yeah. and the muscles are really pretty pretty quick to respond they're right up there so y- yes you can um you can help to um, adapt the muscles for changes in the future oh, so cool. we have proven have
0: proven that much okay T- uh, 12 51 we've got some good news for the day there we go mark that ladies yeah. and gentlemen um a quick um, thought about uh, cooking muscles. One of the thoughts I have whenever I cook mussels is, gee, these are good. Why don't I cook them more often? Um, Mussels are delicious. They're really, really nutritious. They're great for you. They're pretty easy to prepare. God, they're cheap. Um, And I was just wondering your thoughts on preparing mussels and your favourite flavour profiles that go with them.
2: Well, I, I like having them many ways. We were down in Tassie recently in this Blue Eye restaurant um, had some absolutely beautiful mussels that they did in a in a uh, oh, a cider vinegar broth, and it was just like oh, was sensational. Will you anyway,
0: say that again, Lance. What was the word before vinegar? Uh, apple cider. Apple cider dry, vi- vinegar dry, broth. Okay. Yes. Yeah. It was
2: dry, dry apple cider, and the way this restaurateur did it, it was mag. We want we want to steal the recipe off him. We haven't got it yet, but we'll get it one day. And we we love the tomato chili mussels, which is a fairly traditional way. And we have that either with pasta or bread. Yes. But but on Thursday night, Lizzie, my wife, cooked up um, Phil Patrick, which we often have. It's a bit of a treat. And, um, oh, man, they were so good. Like, we're just eating them and um, we're just saying they are are the best. Like, there's nothing like them. Like, so I'll tell you what. The next time I come down, i make a promise that when we go out on the boat – you will, we will cook you up. I'll have Lizzie there with us this time. Oh, wow. And we'll, we'll cook you up some Kilpatrick, yeah. uh, the way she does it, and um, they're absolutely magnificent. Everyone should know about this. We'll, we'll, we'll put the, her recipe up on the website.
0: Ah, awesome. And, uh, but, but this is one of those things that you espouse that um, maybe uh, a lot of us uh, – normal uh, other people um civilians should we say um do in that we get the muscle we grab the beard and then rip it out and sometimes successfully sometimes you rip out half the the muscle with it but you've always been a big proponent of par cook your muscles first and that beard will come out super easy and then also you put your salt content down too yeah
2: yeah um we we don't like actually cooking the mussel straight into a sauce because of that. Because you drop we, because our mussels are so fresh, you know, we're mm. straight out of the water all the time. We, we harvest four days a week. Mm. They're going to drop a lot of water in your sauce. That's going to spoil it a bit, and, and you're not going to be able to control it. Rather than tip some of the liquor in after the after you've cooked them, yeah. open first, then then pull the beads out, and the bo- the beads just fall out. You know, you close the mussel back up on itself and just pull the beard out. And that's what we like to do. And then we can put a knife in and open all the ones that don't open on their own. Mm. We can put a knife in and, and straight away see whether it was undercooked and needs a bit more time. And if not, you can just pop straight open. And that means that every muscle you put on the dining table is um, already, already... You haven't got to try to prise it open and splash sauce on somewhere. So... We always open them up like that first. Easiest thing is pulling the biscuits out. It just takes seconds cause, because there's no effort in doing you it.
0: You don't spoil your white Gucci pants. That's nice. No, the
2: only thing is, if you are doing that way and you get to re cook them like we did the other night with the um, Kilpatrick, so yeah. we steam them, put them in the half shell, add all our toppings, put them in the oven for a few minutes just to melt the cheese over. Um, that makes them hot enough. You just got to make sure you don't cook them twice. So. On the second count, don't hold them too long, on the, and that's if you mix them back in with the sauce. Yeah. And on the first count, make sure you get them out of the pot the moment they open. So we quite often use a, a shallow, a shallow pan. Yes. With glass top, and the moment they're opening, we just we're just reaching in with a tr- t- pong a tro a p- <laughs> The tron- <laughs>
0: tongs, yeah.
2: Our thongs, yeah, and pulling them straight out so we don't overcook them. So then they're really plump in the shell. Don't cook them until they start to dimple. If they're starting to dimple, you're overcooking them.
0: Oh, there we go. I haven't heard you say that yet. Okay, that's good. Because the other thing is if you cook them too long, if you do them um, uh, as uh, we did in the past before, before Lance, B-L, before Lance told us to do otherwise, um, you would cook them in, say, a red sauce, and the longer you cook them, the smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller the mussels get until they're just like little tiny bonsai things. Yeah, well, there's, that's there's, there's
2: terrible. Take to account here. Sometimes people make the sauce, mm. they are finished cooking the sauce down, it's just exactly what they want, then they put the mussels in and the sauce is still really hot. The soup boiling, <laughs> some- boiling hot. That's not the best way to cook mussels because what happens is the adductor muscle on the muscle on the in the muscle, the part that keeps the shell closed, yep. proteins alter really quickly and go tough. And when that happens, the shell won't open. So people have chucked their mussels in. And they're saying, when are these damn things going to open? And a few of them open, but a lot of them don't. Um, and then you've overcooked the how and also you've dropped too much seawater into that sauce and buggered the sauce up.
0: So, it's just all in
2: my opi- my tragedy. Opinion, in my opinion, it's always better to steam them first. Yeah. Keep a little bit of that liquor. Yeah. Drain it, you know, drain it off through a, through a filter, um, and then pour a little bit of that back into the sauce just for the flavour. Tip the mussels back in. When you've done it, stir them around and then serve. Yeah, nice. You've got to re-cook them.
0: And I think we worked out that it was American gastronome Julia Child that first started that whole myth of the unopened mussel is no good and you need oh, to yeah. throw it away.
2: That's right. But in England, in England as well, there are a lot of cookbooks written in England, and yeah. you know, there's places in England where they drag the mussels out of the mud, and um, the mussels—quite a lot of them—are already completely dead or whatever, and they Ooh. could just have. Mud inside them and yeah. and don't cook up properly. So they they do say that if they don't open, don't use
4: them. Yeah, Our right.
2: are ropes high in the water, and that means that um, the, the mussels are much healthier. I mean, they're they're, perf- not, they're they're only twelve months old when we're eating them. They're they're just a, they're just a beautiful. Product. But what you should always do when you get a feed of mussels, put them in the sink, rinse some cold water over bring them up to your nose. Yes. If it doesn't smell if it doesn't smell perfect, if it just doesn't smell like nice clean sea, then there could be there could be one in there that was that had gone rotten or something and by mm. Jesus think. So yeah. what you can do is just sieve through them, just keep picking them up, picking them up and you'll find the crook one, discard that, then rinse them again and there shouldn't be any smell there. Yeah, but what? we I, even if I pull muscle straight off the farm on the boat i will still bring them up to my nose because just like just like every other species every now and again one will just die for no reason
0: yeah um, that, that's right have, gonna have to yeah. cut cut through you buddy because we're uh running out of time uh i just want to very very quickly say i have found that one of the most interesting spices to use with mussels and Tommy your thoughts on this is saffron saffron and mussels seem to have this beautiful affinity
2: Maybe that's what we're not doing with our um, with our white wine and um, vinegar sauce. Is we uh, um, saffron apple apple cider. Maybe we need to add a bit of saffron. So Uh, we'll try
0: that. Yeah, I think saffron. Saffron, maybe in time. I don't know why I'm saying that, but that's just my gut telling me. Lance, love your work. Um, Miss you too. It'd be uh, great to see. I can't wait to see that new tourist boat thing that you've got coming up from Tasmania when that finally arrives. Thanks for joining us, man.
2: Yeah, we'll we'll give you a call when that does come.
0: Love it, love it. Well, Thanks. stay. May the winds be calm and uh, and you <laughs> and your bow not coming up and down too much.
2: Yeah, that's for sure. Thanks a lot. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it.
0: Always good to chat, Lance Swift in there at Port Arlington. There we go. See how I said that fast, Kent. Still Here is Still Here, as we are broadcasting to you proudly from East Brunswick and uh, during these times. Kent, I thank you. Thank you, Cam. <laughs> you got you twice. See you later. We've got to start Still Here, so we're out of here. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Cam Smith, and you've been listening to the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website.